Welcome to CISO's Insiders Podcast, powered by GRC Consulting. In this podcast, we'll be interviewing leading CISOs and security leaders in the industry for light, eye-level conversations. Here, they share advice and tips, talk about their biggest accomplishments and failures, favorite drinks, key influencers, and much more. We encourage you to walk away with at least one insight that will help you better yourself or your business. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more content, please check us out on social media. Welcome, everybody. Uh, thank you for joining us today. Today, I will be speaking to Ryan Miller, the CISO of a company called Mission Search. Uh, a bit about Ryan from what I was able to learn online. Ryan is, an, is actually a U.S. Army veteran. Uh, he... Upon his discharge, I think, I believe he started off as a system admin before uh, before moving on to different roles as a consultant and, and also uh, served as a virtual CISO for a few companies. Nowadays, as I mentioned, Ryan holds the position of, of a full-time CISO for mission search, staffing and recruitment. Uh, I believe it's a staffing company in the healthcare industry. And I'd be more than happy if you could uh, chime in and introduce yourself. Sure. Yeah. Um, as you said, my name is Ryan. Um, I first got into, quote unquote, the industry um, back when I was going for my electronic engineering degree back 2003 to 2005. I did freelance IT. Um, did about an eight-year stint in the Army. Um, I say stint because it felt like prison. And I got out um, and I needed something to do, had a family. Um, and I was like, hey, I did IT before, I'll go to school for IT. Um, and that's where I took one class on uh, cybersecurity and just like, this makes sense to me. Um, mm -hmm. And so I didn't know if it was gonna be a career. I finished my sysadmin degree, decided to go into cybersecurity. Um, got a couple IT jobs while I was in school and then um, was actually hired onto Mission Search as a junior system administrator. And I was shoring up some documentation. I found a bunch of gaps, um, a lot of shortcomings. Uh, I presented it to uh, the chain of command and then like, hey, you're in charge of security now. And then I got into, into consulting after that. Yeah. Uh, and, and I'm sorry, that was uh, during your time in the Army when you... Uh... No, this was... After I got okay, out of the okay. army. Yeah. Okay, because you said chain of command, so that's just you know you, you just talk to the to the army lingo. Okay, got it, got yeah. it. Uh, okay, but eight years—that's that's a that's a substantial period of time to be serving your country, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. It was. Uh, I did I did three deployments in those eight years. The first two came relatively quick. Within the first four, um, was stationed in Anchorage, Alaska. Um, uh, Fort Richardson, and then PCS, or change duty stations, um, down to Fort Bliss, El Paso, um, which looks just like Afghanistan. I really did not like being there. Anyway, um, I was there for about a year and a half, went on another deployment, then I was back from my deployment for about a year, year and a half before I got out. Mm. Okay. Uh, and I know it co it's customary in the U.S. to say uh, thank you for your service. Um so thank you for that. Um, and you mentioned uh, having a family. So uh, because my next two questions, you know, are about your marital status and actually your favorite drink. Right. Um, so so 
the story behind me getting married is 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 unromantic and interesting at the same time. So um, I was in Iraq in 2007 um, with my first unit and I was a truck driver and I had to take my truck in for a service. And the mechanic that worked on my truck uh, turned out to be my future wife. So um, she didn't pay any attention to me at first, completely ignored me because she didn't like truck drivers. Um, she thought we were annoying, pesky, didn't want us around. Well, my first line supervisor um, told me I had to stay there. So I just sat on a bench quietly trying to, you know, create some sort of small talk to pass the time and she wouldn't even look at me. Um, so I guess my persistence paid off. We ended up going on a date a few weeks after to the dining facility on the Ford operating base or FOB. Um, and the rest is history. So um, the interesting part about the proposal is we were in the National Training Center getting ready for our second deployment. <laughs> and we're in the middle of the desert um, in California. And a bunch of people in the unit had been teasing us like, oh, you know, you two are going to get married. And she was always saying, no, I'm never getting married. And, and I went into her tent one day, um, sat on her cot. She was getting ready to go do a training regimen at a control point, um, stimulated. And I sat down next to her and I go, you know how everyone's saying that we should get married? She goes, yeah. She kind of gives me side eye. I go, we should just do it. She's like, what, really? I go, yeah, let's just get married. And <laughs> she said, yes. So that was the engagement <laughs> and proposal. Well, she, she, she was playing hard to get, but um, <laughs> I guess it paid off. <laughs> And, and, you know, I, I couldn't help thinking about this song. Uh, you probably know it. Uh, it's called Don't Touch My Truck. <laughs> yeah. For some reason. It's one of my daughter's favorites. <laughs> okay. Um, that's definitely an interesting story. Moving on to the next icebreaker question here. What's your favorite drink? It is water with Mio. Um, it, it's a holdover from my time in the really from deployments because you just suck down water whenever you can get your hands on it. Mm -hmm. um, just get the habit up. I mean, like 90 to 95% of my fluid intake is water. The rest is like juice. Okay. You certainly uh, spoil the statistics here. You know, usually it's single <laughs> malt or beer in some cases, but okay. <laughs> well, we I mean, I, I occasionally drink, um, um, if I go for beer, it's it's it, it's usually something citrus um, based, mm -hmm. and then yeah, I mean liquors occasionally. It's usually lemonade and vodka. It's kind of a weird mix, but it works for me. So okay, uh, so let's get started with the uh, with the heavier questions here. Um, looking back on your career, what's the one thing you wish you'd known before you began it? Yes, so this gave me a lot of problems early on. Um, and it's finding the balance between security and operations. Um, I had this really bad habit because the, like I explained, I came in, we had a lot of gaps, we had a lot of shortcomings when it came to security, to uh, mission search. And, and I got in this mindset of secure, secure, secure because I was kind of panicky, right? I had no visibility into the environment. Um, 
had no policies, no processes. I mean, a whole new information security program. Um, and so I, I always attempted to over-secure things. And, and I finally learned through people on the verge of hating me that, hey, I really need to sit down and gather these user requirements for their workflows, for the services and products they use, and then design the controls around that because there will always be a little bit of inhibition when it comes to doing work with security controls, but they can't be so much that they make the user angry or, or the employee angry, and then you end up with less collaboration. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, and, and you know, I think the, the tension between uh, operations and security and in some organizations uh, between engineering and security is always there. And, and you know, actually this ties up to one of my follow-up questions about the role of the CISO as part of the IT organization. Uh, because you know, at, at, at the end, you, you always have this tension and, and as you probably know, some CISOs report directly to leadership while others report into an IT leadership role. And it's always interesting to understand like how this tension is, is being dealt with and whether it's for the good of the, of the organization or not. And yeah, I'll ask you this question going forward, but, uh, uh, I did have a question about what led you into information security. And I think I feel you partially uh, already answered that, but if you wanted to provide more, more background, that would be the time. Um, yeah. So, so what led me to it was, was really, it just made sense, um, from a logical standpoint. Um, and it partially has to do with my time in the military and the way they teach you uh, physical security and controls, mitigation, um, you know, like barrier standoff distance, um, you know, serpentines to slow vehicles down, staggering defenses. So from a physical aspect, when I was taught that, um, obviously made a lot of sense and it's something I kind of enjoyed. Um, but when it came to the cyber realm and defense, it, it was a combination of my physical security experience and then my electronic engineering degree. I loved both ideas of defense and then the technical nature of it. Um, and that, and I just kind of got thrown into it. It was something I was eventually going to get into, but then I was just told one day, hey, mm -hmm. you're in charge of all security. Okay. And, you know, this is a question I, I think I've never asked, but do you enjoy this uh, field? Uh, I absolutely love it. Um, and I see the debate a lot online, you know, passion versus job. And I have a real problem with that, right? Um, because I can see both aspects, but the cornerstone of information security is harm reduction. In, in order to be effective at harm reduction, you have to have empathy and you have to listen actively. So when you combine those traits, it's difficult for me to see, like I said, I can see it, but it's difficult for me to see it, how someone can treat it as just a job, um, considering that information security is about people, it's their financial details, it's their medical records. I mean, it wreaks havoc. These data breaches wreaks havoc on people's personal lives and families and 
to me, I don't know how you can just treat that as a job. Yeah, and and I've I've been seeing this a lot lately. Where, you know, I'm speaking to a lot of CISOs, and uh, like the sense of a mission or uh, combined with passion as well. Actually, I think more more individuals than not uh, have actually said that this is what th they love to be doing, and you know, some even don't consider it a job. Uh, right. While others love the aspects of continuously learning the field, and you know, because you can always learn more and more security domains, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's um, it's not a job when you love what you do. Yeah. It comes easy. It comes natural. Um, and speaking to your point about constantly learning, to me, information security is still in its infancy. We're still figuring this all out when it comes to psychology, controls, the best way to do everything, right? That's why best practices are constantly changing while, why we're able to... Why why we're able to um, evolve technology and mitigate threats, it's um, we're, we're still a long way off from what I would consider us being a mature industry. Yeah, and I think to your point, that's the reason that uh, the most successful attacks are executed through exploiting the weakest link, which is always humans, right? It's always yep. been and probably always will be. Uh, okay. Um, and I know you touched a bit about, uh, you know, some failures, uh, but if you could point to like, what was your biggest failure and what did you learn from it? Um, I would say it goes back to towing the line between security and operations. Mm -hmm. um, okay. Because that's, that, that's also a time when I realized that information security was more about the mind than technology itself. Um, because if you can't get people to buy in to an industry that's in its infancy and people can kind of see a need for it, but don't really understand the need for it, like it's it's still a very weird space when it comes to the perception of information security in society as a whole, at least in the U.S. I'll speak to that. Um, mm -hmm. Okay. And, um, you know, that's interesting that you, you you're, perspective is that security it's in its infancy you know being around the block a few times myself i've been in this field since year 2000 and you know if i compare what we have today uh and the maturity let's say around you know application security especially nowadays with you know docker technologies kubernetes uh so, you know, maturity around application security, around compliance, uh, even around the, the awareness that leadership have these days. And I compare it to, you know, the year 2000, where information security was considered if you run a scanner on the network and come up with a list of open ports. I think we've, we've, we've made some significant strides here. But, uh, but yeah, to your point, I think the human factor that you were addressing, uh, I think that still uh, is the weakest link for sure. Yeah. Uh, um, so I know at one point you had remarked that um, we've come a long way from doing local scans for open ports to now, you know, we have OWASP, we have these really sophisticated detection engines. Um, and my point was that we, that the, industry hasn't matured. We have. We've matured quite a lot technically as far as information security goes. But conceptually, we're far, far, far away from being mature, right? 
and case and, in point, case, yeah. uh, uh, case in point, um, I'll try to make an analogy. I'm not really sure if it works, right? So when you need car insurance, you you know where to go for car insurance, right? Yeah. You know the terms, you basically know what the coverages are and what you need for the most part. I mean, even going to the doctor, you know th the names of body parts and illnesses, and you can kind of grasp what he's saying, maybe ask some questions so the doctor puts it in more layman's terms. Uh, but information security, uh, where does the layperson know to go for that? So, and, and, and I, I completely agree with you, but I think, you know, this is one of the merits of regulations, because if you're in a regulated environment or in a regulated industry, actually, so you, you have someone you, you can talk to. And I think, I think that's, and, and again, I'm not saying regulations solve everything, but they do provide you with some guidance on in and around specifically like which frameworks you need to address, what it is that you need to do. I do agree with you that, you know, if you're like, uh, you know, a newly minted company in an unregulated industry, so so yeah, it's it's a green field there, and and I, I'm not sure if that was the the intent of what you just said or not. Partially, um, um, let's take it a step further. Mom and dad, right? If they don't have a child that's in in the industry, it where are they going for information on good security hygiene? Um, for us to take the concepts that we work with at a mid and technical level within the industry to distill them at a high enough level so people's eyes don't glaze over as soon as you say information security um, and teach them those concepts and then and be able to get them to work with those concepts, we are way, way far away from okay. achieving that goal. Um, and I think as an industry, if we can get to a place to where we have near ubiquitous um, and just knowing that someone should do something and they know where to go will will we'll be a lot better off as a society. Got it. So you're talking about actually commoditizing cybersecurity, information security, and bringing it down to the B2C space. Whereas, you know, most of like, the initiatives are mostly focused on like the B2B business to business when you share information and share data. But let me rebuttal that notion with, you know, with a bold statement. I personally believe that people nowadays, especially if you're talking about millennials or Z Gen or Gen Z, sorry, I don't think anybody really cares about their, you know, private information and the fact that everybody's posting everything on Facebook, Instagram yeah. and TikTok and whatnot. I don't really, I don't really think that you know people care too much about it. They will care if you steal their money or their credit card because you know that actually you know they can feel it like immediately, right? But uh, I mean, and that's just my notion here, right? But I, I understand. I now I understood more about what you were saying, actually. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I completely agree agree with you, um, um, and. Uh, in this younger generation, <laughs> <laughs> um, um, they grew up with technology being ubiquitous to where you and me, you know, our late teens, early 20s is when a lot of this really started coming full steam with social media and ads and data sharing in the way we know it today. Um, it was a couple of years ago, there was a data broker that had a S3 bucket exposed. Um, 
and it came to light that a lot of these data brokers know more about us than we know about us. And I mean, some of them have 150 to 200 data points on us, um, previous addresses that we've lived over 10, 12 years, um, who our siblings are, houses we've bought, cars we've bought, um, cars we've rented. I mean, there's so much minutia about our lives that they have. Um, it's unsettling, really. And um, until, and I think that's another weak point within the industry too, um, because we've been latent to address it, because we've addressed it within the industry. Um, and I think within industry, we're quite mature, but as an industry as a whole, and um, truly affecting public policy, public perception, public behavior, we, we just have so much further to go. Yeah, yeah, but I think I, I personally, I think it's deeper than that. It's deeper than, you know, just cybersecurity or even compliance because you're talking about, so, you know, the same rationale that you just used was the actually, that was the trigger for, uh, you know, a, a, a guy by the name of Alice McAllister to initiate the CCPA, the California Privacy Act a few years right. back because he was very disturbed and, you know, on the amount of data that Google has on us. And, and, and I think you use the same phrases there, but, uh, and, and, you know, but, but so on one hand, you have all those regulations and laws that, that come into play, but then, you know, how you enforce them and how you educate them, that's a completely different matter. And, and even in, in those frameworks and laws, so, I wouldn't say that companies can abuse it, but you know, there are so many ways you can circumvent the law. And then mm -hmm. w once you put a law in place like CCPA, then one can, you know, one can claim that let's just take now, for example, like the COVID, the COVID era, right? So mm -hmm. where does privacy come into play as opposed to, to the tension, you know, between what's more important, the right. privacy, the privacy of the individual or the greater good so right and you know so you you, you create systems there you create complex system there systems that are getting more and more complicated and you know the more the com complicated the system is the more you it's it's hard I, I, the harder it is to manage it and to actually make it efficient and again at the end of the day it goes back to the um, uh, i wouldn't say you know simple-minded but it goes back to the layman's that I mean, the the normal folk are, folks out there don't really care about that. That, that that's that, that's my personal opinion, right? And you're one hundred percent correct about that. But the thing is, is is I would hate for our industry to get caught up in a logic logical fallacy in that because so many people don't care, it's not something worth pursuing. Um, people should care. They need to care. Um, um, it it's to me, it's an imperative because of what's at stake. Um, and I, there is a deeper conversation to have when it comes to ethics within these technology companies that collect this kind of data, right? Um, because capitalism says profit at all cost, um, even at the expense of lives, which is why we have OSHA, which is why we have environmental protection agency regulations. Um, so there's kind of a, a crisis of morals almost when it comes to dealing with people's information because that's people's lives. This data is the manifestation of people's lives and we need to be cognizant that what we're doing with this data, we're doing with people's lives. Yeah. Um, 
and uh, uh, go ahead. Yeah, and uh, I completely agree, but let me ask you that, th this. Uh, so, and, and I'm not sure how old you are, but uh, can you imagine that, you know, prior to 9-11, let's just, you know, go, go back in time to, let's say, 1990, can you imagine what it would look like if, I was five. <laughs> if, if people, I mean, if the TSA back then came out with those new security requirements, uh, mandating you to remove your shoes before you go up on a plane and get, go through all those security screening that you, that we need to do right now in the U.S. here, because that wasn't around, right? So it, it, it had, I mean, a catastrophe had to happen before, you know, people were able to change their mind and, and, and the mindset change actually. So I'm not saying that, that I want that to happen here, but I'm just, I mean, I, I think as human beings, and again, I, I might, meet, uh, might be too bold today, but I think human beings are mostly lazy than they don't. I mean, at the end of the day, we, we're, you know, we're, we only seek our own comfort, right? Yep. <laughs> especially, especially in this country. And I mean, if, so I think the tension between our own comfort and, you know, keeping it safe, secure, and, 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 and keeping aware, I think that's where we, we lose all the battles, basically. Yeah, yeah. I, you, you are not wrong at all. Um, and part of that has to do with the nature of, it, of information systems, right? There are degrees of separation. So the further you are away from an event, a hacking, but you're credit card information was stolen, but it wasn't used. So you're like, I don't care, right? Yeah. Until your bank account's drained. And then you're like, oh, now I really care. We need to do something about this. Mm -hmm. um, and so those de those degrees of separation that are native to, the, to our information systems, uh, because, you know, I can be handling someone's data that's across the country. I never see their face. I never hear their voice. What does it mean to me, right? Until you see them crying because their life is destroyed you took a shortcut on a security control <laughs> right yeah. um and we rarely feel those impacts truly except at higher levels when we get fines and you know the fbi or secret service comes by and starts um interrupting operations so it it's humans as you said are notorious uh, um for doing the wrong thing uh, I'm kind of summarizing here for doing the wrong thing until they're required to do the right thing. Yeah, exactly my 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 sentiment here. <laughs> Great. Um, yeah, I mean, but but thank you for the insight and 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 this uh, and this conversation. Yeah. Um. Re real quick, almost slipped my mind. I wanted to touch on what you said about COVID, um, and when it comes to how do we share information, and when do we violate privacy. And I took a couple philosophy courses in college, and I always found, and, and maybe in this aspect, I'm looking at it a little too simply, but we would get, or the, the professor, right, would try to get us into these really complicated discussions about what's right and what's wrong. And to me, it was always, what does the least amount of harm? That's what you do. I'm sorry, I was muted. And for me, it's it's simpler than that. You know, uh, I'm a, an avid sci-fi fan. And as a kid, I was reading Isaac Asimov. Um, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with the laws of, of robotics. 
but they have a little bit. A little bit. So the first law was, you know, a robot may not injure a human being or through inaction allow a human being to come to harm. But then at some point in, in those series of, of books, they, they came up with a zero law. So basically the same, just you substitute human being with humanity. And, you know, for me, you know, the greater good needs to be in a place where it trumps the individual right. I'm not saying, you know, we need to convert to dictatorship or totalitarian regimes, but there has to be a balance right. and you, you need to have a lot of checks and balances. But for me, I do think that specifically, like if we, if we, if we consider COVID, specifically, specifically with COVID, the greater good need, need, need to be able to trump the individual rights here. Right. Yep. In some cases, I'm not sure, I'm not saying, you know, anything about like, forcing anything but that's just my again personal opinion here yeah i mean it, it's it's and and it comes down to doing just some quick calculus on it if i release x information exactly. is it gonna is it gonna harm the individual more and not benefit society therefore i don't do it employing least harm or does society benefit at the harm of a single person it, it, it's i mean to me, like you said, it's rather simple. Yeah, same. Um, you know, but touching a bit about your failures, what would you say your biggest accomplishment was? Um, being able to teach business leaders that when it comes to making decisions about information security within an organization is more about isn't just dollars and cents calculus. It has to include empathy because business leaders, they're like ROI, 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 like ad nauseum, right? If I spend this much money, you know, how much of this uh, regulatory or financial liability am I gonna mitigate to make it worth it? What's the cost of the asset on and on? And that's great, you have to make those, but if you're not approaching it from the aspect that you need to do this, not that you have to do this, it's going to affect your decision-making as a whole and what you should and should not protect, even with the dollar and cents calculus. Yeah, uh, and, and, and you know, I know for a fact, uh, testing to myself, when you, when you run a company, you have to be looking at the bottom line, but I, I, I get what you're saying, you know, uh, doing it, it without hem without empathy, especially when it comes, when it might affect people's lives. And I believe, you know, you're in the health space. So, you know, obviously tons of PII and PHI there, it could really affect uh, real humans, uh, real day-to-day -day lives. So, so definitely, I, I understand your point here. Yeah, yeah. Um, to that real quick, I'm actually in the middle of writing an, an article. I've actually, it's been about a year now that I've been writing this article. Um, but we have to deal with vendor management system companies. And basically what they are is they're a middle person between us and the facility. So the facility says, hey, I have a job order. I need you to go get this kind of doctor for me. And then you're going to use this system to upload their records, health, uh, health, uh, health records, their you know PII, whatever. And so on the facility side, when they view that, they have all of these account controls to where you can limit access to PII and PHI. But on the business associate side, it's it's free for all. Uh, if you have an account, 
within an organizational account, you can see every document. Um, that's how most of them are. And so it's this huge kind of dead area within the high tech space um, where there's all this liability, but these VMS companies, one of them straight up told me they don't care. They're like, we develop for the facility side, not really for the business associate side. Because there's some of our recruiters that have to log in to see a status of, of a job and get certain information to where just logging in, they can access that candidate's protected health information when they shouldn't be able to, but we have no control over it. So essentially, if we want to do business, our hands are tied using an insecure system. So I'm writing an article on, on these specific companies that have these very, very poor practices or just absolute apathy or lack mm -hmm. of knowledge for their compliance requirements. Um, so we'll see how that lands when I'm done writing it. Yeah. You know, I think there's, there, there's always, there's always going to be black holes when it comes to, to regulators, you know, some groups there that are, that have not been regulated yet. And I know, uh, you know, there is some movement around that here in the U S so high trust, uh, you know, has been, has been a very effective in the health space, but they're rolling it out in such a way that they're going after the big fish first and, yeah. and they're doing a similar, uh, they're, they're having a similar process with the CMMC nowadays, like the DOD, you know, it's rolling out the CMMC with the same purpose in mind to, uh, to secure the supply chain. But yeah, I mean, as you said, there's always going to be like, you know, specific uh, industries or companies that are, that, that went unnoticed. So, um, what, what advice would you give someone wanting to pursue a career similar to yours? Um, if you want to be successful and you want to make an impact, because everyone judges success differently, right? Some people are like, oh, I want to make 150,000 a year. I'm, I'm more result oriented. I'm concerned about the impact and positive change I can make in an, an organization, a person's life with what I do. Um, so to them, I would say it's really not a space for egos because of the, at, at the pace things are changing and at the rate that you make mistakes first coming in and even throughout your career, uh, uh, career, um, you are going to have to die to yourself to get better, to correct those mistakes. Ego gets in the way of that. Ego says, you know, I'm the best at what I do. I've, I've reached the top. I've learned what I need to learn. And you become stagnant. Um, that, that would probably be my biggest piece of advice. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thank you. Um, now, my next question, we already touched on it a bit about the role of the CISO as part of the IT organization. And I know you, you mentioned, you know, the tension between operations and security. Um, and so I can assume that your answer would be about this question. Like, what do you feel about the role of a CISO being a part of the IT organization? I can assume that your answer would be uh, that you know, it needs to be in that organization and, and, it's, and it's actually an integral part. This is just my assumption. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. And, and actually I would also like to hear if you, if you see any, any cons to that structure as opposed to like reporting directly to, to another leadership position, let's say, you know, the COO or the legal counsel or anything like that. Right. Um, so, so when it comes to reporting, obviously each, each, company is going to have their own preferred way. And if it works, 
hey, it works. If it doesn't work, maybe consider changing it. Um, but as long as as long as there as long as there's progress, it's the reporting I really don't care about. Um, to me, security and IT have to collaborate um, because if you're not securing as you're building uh, and it's hack on security, you're going to have disruptions, you're going to have stress, you're going to have mistakes. Um, so I, we're going to get to a point um, where IT and IT security is virtually the same. Um, it's it's going to have to be, uh, what's the word for it, cross? I think uh, cross-pollinating. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Um, and eventually become one department. Uh, yeah. Because coming through and having, someone on Twitter put it really well the other day. Um, right now, information security is OSHA. <laughs> We're the ones that, that come up behind IT and are you doing everything right? We're going to audit you. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And so you kind of have like this looking down approach almost. Um, and it can't be that way. We we have to be peers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's actually part of, of my mission, you know, to connect peers together. And we, we can talk about this. Uh, yeah. We can talk about this offline. Um, what would and and you know as as an inf, as a CISO and as someone that's been in the information security industry for a few years now, um, I think most of the practitioners there are self learners, you know. And I, I'm I'm just I like to ask uh, the following questions about uh, what were the best resources that have helped you along the way. Um, as as, as far as mentorship or? Well, it could be anything from mentorship. It could be um, online resources. Basically, you know, you, you got to a, to the place that you are today, uh, you know, and, 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 and that was attributed to something. So it's probably, you know, to some, it could be certificates, it could be online resources, it could be mentorship. Yeah, basically whatever, um, you, it's an open-ended question. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, so I would, I don't know. There's, there's just so many. I don't have any certifications. Um, I don't. I'll I'll leave it there. I'm not a big <laughs> fan of certifications. Um, I think it's a bit of a grift. But anyway. Um, all right. Um, so so what so when it comes to certifications within our industry, they serve a clear purpose, right? They provide um, employers with with proof um, um, that you have a baseline knowledge. But so many times when you read job descriptions, you see there's more focus on certification requirements than there is experience by the placement within the job description, right? So a lot of times you see certifications right up at top because that's where they want you to focus. Your most, your most important information for anything typically goes at the top of a description and certifications are most often up there. But what I find, I guess you could say concerning um, is that there's an emphasis on, cert on certifications, which are theoretical knowledge, than there is on experience, which is practical and applied knowledge. Um, 
and a lot of times, so, so, sometimes that's for regulatory compliance, you know, liability, stuff like that. Um, but many times I see other companies following suit um, that don't have those requirements. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, uh, I think, I think uh, so I've been in the industry for 21 years now, and I do have a few certifications under, under my belt, but I can attest to myself that I think it goes in, hand in hand with, uh, with, with industry experience, because for example, if, I mean, I took, uh, you know, I, I did one certification a year ago for, uh, to become an ISO lead auditor. And, you know, it made a lot more sense to me now with all my experience and, and all my business knowledge than what it would have been if I had taken it like 10 years ago. And, and I think a lot of certifications are that way. So, and, and I mean, you do have like very technical certifications like, you know, CISSP and CEH and OSCP and whatnot. But I, I do think, you know, and you know, you can abuse everything, right? So you can just um, abuse the certification and just collect them as trophies. But if, if, if you lack the, you know, the underlying understanding that can only come through industry experience, then you're not, you know, you might be missing the point here. And that's just my opinion, right? But uh, I do feel there is a place for certifications, but I do agree with uh, that sentiment that, you know, it's not, it's not the holy grail that you, you should be striving for. Right. Yeah, yeah. And that's kind of my point. Um, um, and you explained it really well that they do work hand in hand. In fact, certifications can fill in knowledge gaps that you may be missing in your experience just because of how your career has gone and the environments you, you've worked in. Um, and, but, but it's, it's, I, I, I just, companies that are hiring, I see a consistent overemphasis on theoretical knowledge rather than practical knowledge. Mm -hmm. So what would your advice be to the hiring personnel then not to look at certification to, to run like a, through like a different type of test or what? Basically? Right. So, so I, I, life is nuanced, right? And, and within our industry, there's so much always going on that we try to distill things at times, um, such as in hiring to the highest level possible so we can make a decision as quickly as possible. Um, and I think that does us a disservice at times. Um, the way I look at, at a potential hire is I always consider personality, temperament, how they would mix with the team first, which you can get a, a decent handle on through a good conversation. I don't even wanna call it an interview. I converse with people. Right. Um, I don't sit there and I don't hammer them with questions. I just talk to them. Um, and from there I go experience and then I go education degrees, certifications, because to me that always, it's just third to me, um, in importance because you can have someone that has a ton of experience, but you just can't work with, right. You know, you're quote unquote rock stars, um, with egos and they're just difficult. Um, Cool, you have a ton of skills, but you're causing disruption so much within the team, within the company, uh, that it's not worth keeping you on or even hiring you. Um, and a lot of times that that will come out in hiring conversations because um, a person gets relaxed, you build rapport with them. Um, 
it's almost like a hidden interrogation almost. But that being said, um, um, the skills come second because skills can be taught, right? Teamwork, um, not having an ego, not being disruptive, that, that can't be taught. Um, and then certifications really just kind of reinforce the practical experience. Yeah. And, you know, just to reinforce your point here, I just got off the phone not two, not 10 minutes ago with the potential hire that I will be onboarding within a couple of weeks to our team. And, you know, he has, he, he's a great guy. He has like 20 years experience. He doesn't have the, cert, the certifications that I need, but, you know, I'm, I would, I'm much more inclined to bring in him aboard and then train him and provide him with all of those certifications needed within like a period of three to six months because I I, I believe in him. Right. And, and, yeah. and 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 you know and that came through conversations as you, as you just said like we had a couple actually probably more than a couple we we had a few conversations and you know I feel comfortable with it and 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 yeah that's the the decision that I took not ten minutes ago actually. <laughs> That's good. That's great. I mean, between college and just having conversations like you and I are having um, with other CISOs and security engineers, architects, um, it really is a cumulative effect um, between publications and, and just learning from other people face to face. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, I, th I think, you know, there. I'm not, I'm not sure how to put it in like psychological terms, but I think there are individuals that are, have like, a, you know, that need, that, that, can, that can learn better when it's structured, you know, and this is when you go, you know, and seek out certifications and, and such. And then there are the free spirits that just, you know, absorb. And then yeah. I, I think the brains of those two types of individuals are probably wired differently. I mean, again, I'm not, I don't know anything about psychology and I'm not, I don't know too much about, uh, I don't know too much about the brain as well, but this is just my, you know, my own experience and assumption here. Yeah, I mean, I, I think when it comes to classifying people as specific learners, we're doing ourselves a disservice. Um, it's a false dichotomy, really, because everyone learns a little bit each way, right? So some people may primarily be a hands-on learner, um, but there's all all aspects of learning is what helps us absorb. Um, and just because we're not good at one doesn't mean we can't use it. Okay, uh, and you mentioned briefly um, mentorship. Uh, did you have any any like uh, specific individuals that you wanted to mention that, uh, that have been the most influential to you? Um, yeah, I, I would say a true mentorship exchange would probably be Rob Fitzgerald. Um, um, he worked at Green Pages for a time, and he's held some interim chief, informa chief information security roles. And he has his own company um, um, doing consulting and, and provides some other services. And, but I would say kind of passively, would be Jake Williams and Leslie Carhart. Uh, I absorb a lot from them mm -hmm. without much in return. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, do you mind sharing your, uh, and this is relatively a new question, uh, but do you mind sharing your daily uh, routine? Like what it is that you do to get your updates and what's a uh, typical day looks like? 
yeah um i i it's it's variable i don't like to get into too much of a routine with my work because then creatively when i have to look for business needs um and troubleshoot i get kind of stagnant uh, it's just the way my brain works if i get too much too 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 much of a routine in one area it affects a whole bunch of other areas um but typically where i would get information industry-wise is um places like cyberscoop twitter port port swigger i get a lot from curated intel um which is a cyber threat intelligence group uh, that that's on discord mm-hmm. uh, just some fantastic analysts in that group that just that blow me away with some of the things they do Okay, interesting. Um, now let's let's talk a bit about vendors, if if I might. Um, if you put yourself in the shoes of a vendor, just for a moment, what is it that you would do when looking to engage with a new customer? And this will f- uh, follow up to. I mean, this question will follow up. Uh, will be followed up by a bunch of other questions related to vendors. Sure, sure, yeah. Um, so I know what works with me. Uh, I haven't really been on the vendor side too much. Um, um, but, but I know speaking to people, it can be frustrating when it comes to sales because you have quotas, obviously. Um, and some companies like to focus on quantity over quality. And so you get a lot of copy paste sales pitches and not much research done on who they're targeting for their sales. Um, and, and actually just wrote an article this morning expressing some frustrations on on LinkedIn. And the best way I can put it is that once you determine who you want to engage with, do your research. Find out where they're working, what they're working with. I mean, even look at their LinkedIn posts, see if you can find them on Twitter, what are their pain points, and then personalize your interaction to that. Take time. You can't contact a hundred people a day like that, mm-hmm. but you'll end up on more vendor lists with companies and possibly sales in the end by having quality communication rather than a quantity of communication. You know, that that's, that's very interesting because what you're saying, obviously I've heard it before and, uh, you know, I've experienced it uh, as well, both as a recipient of uh, a lot of cold emails and cold calls and and also as, you know, as a, as a provider, uh, although we, we do not engage in those tactics. Uh, but um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's interesting because when I think of it, because most companies, when they want to scale up, they, you know, there's the American way for doing that, right? I mean, you guys invented it like quotas and, 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 you know, put in a, an X amount of SDRs doing Y amount of calls per day, and then setting the KPIs in place to measure that. And, you know, the more I talk with CISOs, the more I realize, like, at least for this group, for the, for this, for the information security community, it's very, I mean, you can't really build a scalable organization in 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 the old way, right? So you because at the end of the day, uh, and again, I'm not sure like 
like uh, which vendors you're working with, but I can assume that those vendors probably, you know, you probably have some kind of uh, relationship uh, with them from the past. You probably reached out to the network at some point. And, and I mean, you, you probably did like a, like a soft research before uh, engaging with, with, with any of your vendors. So that's, you know, and it's interesting because the world as a whole still works in, in, in the old way that was built up and set up by, by American corporations, right? Okay. That's, that's very interesting. And, and that's actually, as I told you uh, in our preliminary call, that's actually one of the goals of this podcast to try and to, to, uh, to figure out like, you know, what works and what don't. Well, don't well, companies like to treat sales like they're building a car. You can't assembly line sales because humans are not cars. They have feelings, they have thoughts, they have annoyances, temperaments, moods, however you want, however you want to phrase it. I mean, I get, I get 15 to 20 emails a day and, and, and I scan the email for certain keywords to pick up context. If it's copy paste, I either just straight out block them if I'm annoyed enough at the moment, or I'll say, I'm not interested in a reply if I'm in a good enough mood. I'm still annoyed. <laughs> um, there's actually really one really good example. Um, a penetration test company called Go Secure. I got to give this guy props. Name's Patrick Sweeney. He sent me an email the other day. It was copy paste. We're getting ready to have a pen test. Hadn't had the pen test yet, right? So there's some inaccuracy in the email. I said, I'm not interested right away. I was, I was like, another one of those. But he replied after he went into my LinkedIn profile, found out which technologies we use based off the experience in my profile. And I guess went through some, some of my posts and started talking to me. He personalized communication. So now he went from, I'm just going to ignore you to now, if we need a red team engagement or pen test in the future, he's probably going to be top consideration. Mm -hmm. And that's interesting. I actually got a similar response on another podcast I recorded yesterday. Uh, and, and, you know, so one tip, one tip I can, I, I can share here is that that's the amount of time I got that specific re response that if you take the time and put it into doing a proper research, that helps you basically stand out in the crowd. And, you know, it increases the chance of, of, of the recipient to, to start an, uh, to start talking with you basically. Yeah. And, and, you know, touching a bit about uh, like sales tactics, what would you say was the most annoying sales pitch that you've encountered? If there's any one or just in general, like cold calls. Yeah. I would say the general cold call ones. Um, mm -hmm. Okay. If I were to point to one directly, it would be those, I want to send you a PDF on this product where they call into the main line of the, and they have to be transferred to my extension because they want to keep a, a a specific brand at the top of my mind by sending me this PDF on some random product that they have, those probably have to be the most annoying. Um, and then under that would, would just be the cold pitches, them just shooting in the dark. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and what it is that you are looking for in a vendor then? Um, to me, it's listening. Um, it's partially why I, I like Sofo so much because for the most part, they're not perfect at it, but they're one of the better companies I've seen at listening to their customers. 
I've had concerns. I've brought up to Sophos. There's even been times of like, hey, you, you have a concern? Let, let's do a video chat. And then two or three days later, I'm on a video chat. They're explaining product roadmaps, features coming out, getting my feedback on what I would like to see as a customer. Um, just had a, a, a really, really good experience because they're responsive. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and the majority of the vendors that you work with, did you reach out to them? Um, most of them. Yeah. Um, there's been a couple products we've used in the past, like share file. That, that was a cold call. Um, that was a really lucky one actually, because I, I said, we need email encryption that day. And like three hours later, I got a call from a sales guy at share file without me even inquiring. I was like, Hey man, it, it's your lucky day. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's a nice coincidence. Um, so is there any way vendors can actually connect to you in a non-intrusive manner? Um, probably through LinkedIn or, or, or even Twitter. Okay. I'm, I'm most active on Twitter because I, I get on LinkedIn and, and I see all the fluff marketing and hype and it just, it really kind of rubs me the wrong way. So. Got it. Um, so I'm assuming our listeners, if they want to connect with you online, so Twitter would be the pay, the, the place, right? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Nice. Uh, is there anything you could point to, 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 to be held, uh, as the single most important thing to you in your career? I don't know. That's a fair know. question. I mean, that's a, that's yeah. a fair answer as well. Right. Okay. Um, that's fine. And, um, you know, just before we wrap this up, uh, I do have like a couple of, uh, you know, uh, non-related questions that I, I like to ask, uh, if you had unlimited funds, what would you do with your life? I don't know if I could fairly answer that until something like that happens. I don't think anyone really knows. Um, some of us would like to say, you know, oh, I'd keep working and I'd donate as much as I could to charity, you know, and, and, and world hunger. Um, mm -hmm. but it could very well may be that they leave the office that very day, never come back and travel every day for the rest of their lives. They, um, yeah, I mean, until you're in a, in a situation like that, it's kind of like what it, it's, it's kind of like winning the lottery yeah. until it happens. You, until you're under that pressure, until you have that opportunity, you, you really don't know. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, have you read or listened to anything recently that has inspired you that, and you wanted to share? Um, you know, I don't, I don't take inspiration in the typical sense of getting inspiration of someone had this amazing experience and they wrote about it or did a podcast about it. And now I want to go and do that thing. It's what I see wrong that I can fix is what inspires me. Okay. Okay. Also causes me a lot of anxiety, but. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, okay. Um, I want to be respectful of your time and I just wanted to thank you for, you know, taking the time to jump on this uh, call. Uh, it was a pretty quick turnaround here. And um, um, again, I'm, I, I enjoyed uh, talking with you and uh, hopefully the answers that you provided would resonate with some of our listeners uh, and maybe even potentially help some people out. Um, and I wish to you all, you know, 
all the success in your role and just keep enjoying doing what you're doing. And, and yeah, th thank you again. All right. Uh, and thank you for having me on. This has been a, a great experience. Yeah. Thanks, Ryan. Thank you.